Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Praise God. I'm thankful I'm here, and uh, I can see by so many smiles on your faces, you're glad you're here, and uh, it's just good to come and worship the Lord. Amen. Well, you've been standing and worship the Lord. Bless you. You may be seated. And uh, yes, I did have a birthday, for which I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to keep having them. Amen. And in case you're wondering, I have completed 53 years, and uh, I'm not as, I'm not, uh, well, I'm not 33 and I'm not 43, but I'm going to be the best 53 I can, so there's no sense in worrying about all that spilled milk, you just got to get up and go. So uh, I am grateful to the Lord for good health and uh, for uh, a good church, good family. There's so many things we can be thankful for, uh, all of us, things that we have that perhaps many don't have, opportunities. Um, and it's just uh, easy to count your blessings if you just stop and do it. And so uh, thank you all for your goodness and kindness, your faithfulness, and all of that. A few quick things before we go to the Word of the Lord. Um, we uh, officially are ready to uh, turn some dirt outside. We had our pre-construction meeting with the city today and uh, satisfied all those guys down there at the Sanhedrin. And so they're good. We're good. And so I think the goal is Tuesday, hopefully Tuesday, uh, to start pushing dirt. And uh, so uh, if not Tuesday, they'll at least get their gear out here and all that stuff, and maybe Wednesday. But I told them that wasn't good enough. I told them I need a tractor out here. Uh, this is our 30th anniversary Sunday, and we worked really hard, and I need a tractor. So uh, they were dragging their feet a little bit, so I told Brother Bagliori, uh, he knows all these guys. I said, I need a tractor. And I think he called and put some heat on some folks. And lo and behold, we have a tractor. So, <laughs> praise the Lord. That way, everybody that drives in here Sunday... You know, the Wednesday night crowd, you're always up to date on everything because we have plenty of time to talk and announce it. Some of the people on Sunday mornings, you know, they, they uh, don't always know exactly what's going on. So we have a tractor for them in case they don't realize that we are about to build... Uh, we're sending them a message. But this time next week, next Wednesday night, we should have a good mess out there. So looking forward to that. And right on the heels of the outside, we'll be starting on the inside. Uh, everything is moving in that direction. I do ask you to be praying for that. Uh, of course, there are infinite ways things can get off track. So be praying for that whole process. Pray the Lord would continue to give us favor. And of course... Um, we want all the construction stuff to go smoothly, budget to go smoothly, all of that. But we don't want any injuries on our property. We want everyone to be safe. And uh, we, um, we also know that when we make progress as a church, even if it's just mundane physical things like parking lots and buildings, what we know is that when we make progress, there is an enemy that doesn't like us to make progress. And so I want you to be vigilant. I want you to be aware and um, if things begin to happen around your uh, family or your life and you're wondering what in the world is going on, it may not be a coincidence that as the church makes progress that certain entities are not happy with that progress. But we will persevere. Amen. We will move forward. And I want to encourage all of you, if you haven't already uh, been able or had the opportunity to support this endeavor, uh, financially, I want to encourage you to invest in uh, these facility projects that we're doing. Invest in the future. We're able to worship in this facility because many people invested over the years. And as we invest in more, we are paving the way not only for ministry for our own families, we are paving the way for future generations to be able to worship God here. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, um, go ahead and, and by faith, prayerfully consider how you could support this Financially, you've received an email. If you haven't, you're welcome to talk to me or Sister Rachel, and uh, we can get you connected. But um, there are seasons where we take a little extra step, make a little extra commitment, and uh, this is not an, uh, an open-ended commitment. Many of you have already made commitments a couple of years ago and uh, have chosen to fulfill those. Some have chosen to uh, modify those. But uh, I think if we could just finish out 12 months from now, just a year, if we could give uh, those commitments for a year, I think we'll be uh, well on our way and done with this. We'll be finished with the project before then, uh, but uh, it would help if we could have the campaign for 12 months. 
that would allow us to finish up some things on the back end that we'll need to finish up, uh, but also uh, replenish maybe some money we might borrow from ourselves. But God is good. Amen. If all goes as planned, sometime in November, uh, definitely by early December, uh, we will have paid cash for all of these things that we've been wanting to do. And so I want to say praise God, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. This weekend, of course, our 30th anniversary. Amen. I'm 53, as I just said. Do the math. Uh, I, I joined New Life 30 years ago. So I was 23 years old. Long story. I won't go into all that. In fact, we uh, published a fifth, uh, 25th anniversary book. It's in our bookstore. Uh, we tell more about that story. But uh, I was 23. My wife was 22 when we came uh, to New Life, right after New Life was started, the first service, of course, in the Bernard's home. And then I believe it was about four weeks later, they had their first service on Peyton Gin. And before the first service on Peyton Gin, we had already talked and agreed to uh, start worshiping at New Life. And so 30 years ago, look what the Lord has done. And we're going to celebrate all of that on Sunday. And uh, Sunday morning... Sunday morning, we'll have about a two-hour format. No, I'm just kidding. Sunday morning, we're going to have a, a typical format. We're going to come have good church. We'll say some things about the anniversary. Uh, but the main thing is we're going to allow our district superintendent to preach, as he does so well. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be encouraged. And then Sunday night, we're going to have a little more time to share. Uh, we're thankful uh, Brother and Sister Bernard will be here, founding pastor. He'll share some. I'll share some. We have a video um, I particularly want to talk about the last five years. We had a big 25th celebration, and I want to talk about the last five years of what the Lord has done since that time. And He's done a lot of good things. And not only that, we've been through a lot the last five years. But we are here, and we have victory, and we're marching forward. And I'm so grateful for all of those things. Amen. For several weeks, I taught on the subject of growing in Christ and how we as individuals can grow in the Lord. And uh, I hope that you're growing. Amen. I hope that I'm growing. Have you ever had those seasons where you weren't sure if you're growing? Amen. That's all of us. Uh, I, in my life, there's times where I, I, I look around and I wonder, you know, I don't know, am I growing? And one of, the, one of the things that is very detrimental, particularly for those of us that have served the Lord for a while, is if you ever sort of get in that sort of spiritual stupor where you sort of think there's nothing left, or there's nothing more, or I have accomplished, or and not in an arrogant way, but you know I've lived my life, I've I've served the Lord, I've served the church, and you just sort of get in that spiritual stupor where it's sort of you kind of have just the you know you're, you're battle weary, maybe you're worn, and you kind of just have that been there, done that. You know you're not living in sin, you're faithful, you're supporting the church with your prayers and your attendance and. And uh, building the vision. I mean, you're, you're there, but you just sort of lose that, that edge. When that comes on you, I want to challenge you to resist that. I want to challenge you to resist that. The Bible says in, 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 in the wisdom literature that it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. When I look back on my 20s and 30s, some of the stuff that we did, particularly in relation to our, our, our walk here at New Life... Uh, it's kind of mind-boggling to me because like, if I had to do that today, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, it's not happening because there's certain loads you can carry in your youth that you can't carry, well, when you get to be 53. And it's a wise man that knows the difference. Um, however, however, there are things you can do in maturity that you could have never done when you were younger. You have a perspective you should have a well-developed faith. You should have a, a, a degree of wisdom that you don't have when you're young. There are some things that only come through the course of time. There's some things that you only gain through going through battles. There's things that you only there, the, the things that, that some things only mature in your life after you have lived through disappointment, after you have had a certain string of unanswered prayers, after you have struggled through valleys, after you have gone through deep, dark places, and not only that, but after you have seen the delivering hand of God, and after you have seen what God can do over and over again. And so sometimes us 
older saints, you know, we can get to that point where it's kind of like we, we kind of feel like we've arrived. And, and not, again, not in an arrogant way, but just like, well, what's left? You know, we've, we've conquered our, 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 our giants and we've, we've climbed our mountains. We've, we've been used by God. We've done some things and we're just going to sail. I would encourage you to resist that and to strive to continue to grow in God, to be more for God. Amen. There are things that a seasoned saint of God can do that a new convert just can't do. Amen. There, 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 there is a level of maturity of faith and spirituality that only comes with your walk over a long period of time. And so I want to challenge all of us, the Wednesday night crowd, the seasoned mature saints of God, to lean into whatever it is God has for us. And so we've been talking about growing in Christ. I want to have that same that same yearning of Paul that I preached about Sunday. You know, here's Paul. He's written several letters in the New Testament. He's, he's, he's started many churches. He's performed all sorts of miracles. He's had this fabulous ministry. And yet at the end, the very end of his ministry, he's still desiring and seeking more. I want us to do that. I want us to feel that we, you know, we, 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 when you cross the finish line, that you're leaning into it. You're not just 100 yards off and say, well, I, I'm just going to walk the rest of the way. No, to run this race to the very end, to finish the course, to run it full steam ahead and see what God will do. Amen. I want to grow in Christ. I want to grow. And here's, the, here's the thing. As you grow in the Lord, it's not just this this linear thing where, you know, you start here and, 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 you know, you're a new convert and you come to the Lord. Do you remember when that was? Do you remember being born again? Amen. Even those of you that were, were uh, you know, maybe raised in church, maybe you were saved as a child. If you, if you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know exactly where it was and when it was. Amen. Remember that song we used to sing, some of you folks from the real old church? We used to sing a song, I got it. I got it. There's nothing like the power of the Holy Ghost. I got it. I'm glad that we got something that when we got it, we knew we got it. Amen? But, but this walk with the Lord, this walk with the Lord, sometimes we think about it like that, okay? I got it. As if we got the whole life. And we think about this sort of this, this linear progression where we're building on that. We're always building on that initial experience. We're just trying to stay connected to that. It's not the way it works. Paul talks about this evolution in the Christian life where we go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Here's what happens. You get born again. That becomes a foundation in your life from which you can build something. You build that something. But at some point, you stretch to the max of what you can build with that experience. And it's time for you to go deeper in God, and you have a reset moment in your life. A moment where you dig down again. It could be a crisis, it could be a, 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 a negative situation in your life, or it could simply be a very deep sense of the presence of God in a deep spiritual experience. And you take all of that experience, not to just keep stretching it out as thin as you can get it, but you take that to launch something greater. And so you have these launch moments in your life. You're not just still, just still nourishing yourself off that initial conversion experience. I am building now on what the Lord has done over the last five years. Prior to that, I built on what the Lord had done the past five years. In other words, we build our strength and our walk with God based on what God cumulatively does in our lives. Therefore, those of us that have lived for the Lord a long time have a long story that has accumulated. We have a whole bunch of stuff in the rearview mirror where we can look back like the psalmist and said, He delivered me out of the hand of all of these enemies, and now I know Him better than I knew Him the day I first knew Him. And so our walk, our growing in Christ, our growing in Christ, it should be this exponential growth where we're not just stretching this one little experience out to eternity. That leads us to something else. That something else leads us to something else. And we continually build and we grow and we stretch. I want to be growing in Christ. Amen. And so for several weeks we talked about ways that we can grow in Christ. Last week we switched gears a little bit and we talked about, okay, our church needs to grow. 
not just numerically, of course it needs to grow numerically, and not just for the sake so we can say we have a big church, and not just you know, so we can have a building full of people, but we have a great commission that's been given to us to preach the gospel to everyone. And as long as there are unsaved people in Austin, and as long as we have empty seats in this room, we have a task to do. Now, our church should be growing, it should be stretching, and again, not just numerically, but we should be growing spiritually. And, and, and if you chase the numerical growth, you're going down the wrong path. You, we as a church should be, should be seeking after the collective spiritual growth of our community. And as our church community is healthy, guess what? Growth is a natural byproduct of that. And so it's just like a tree. The way you get fruit out of a tree, you don't go strangle the tree and shake it and scream at it and tell it to bear fruit. The way you get a tree to bear fruit is you make the tree healthy. That's all you can do. You can't make a tree bear fruit, but you can make the tree healthy. And it's the same way with the church and church growth. You can't make a church grow, but you can make a church healthy. And even in those difficult seasons, and like the last couple of years, you know, you're very limited in what you can do as far as making a church grow numerically. But what we know we can do is we can retain spiritual health. And then in the season of harvest, if we have remained healthy in the other seasons, when the season of harvest gets here, then there will naturally be a harvest. Why? Because the church is healthy. Church is healthy. We talked last week about a few ways that, that, we, can, that we can ensure that our church is growing, that our church is strong. And uh, I talked one about um, church growth being a, a, a results uh, as a cooperation between God and us. Between God and us. I can assure you God wants New Life Austin to grow. Because it's not His will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes, He is the one that came as a sacrifice, not only for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Church growth is the will of God. But church growth also is this cooperation it's a cooperation between God and the church. And so we talked a little bit about that. And so I want to make sure that we do our part as a church. The second thing we mentioned was a commitment to the gospel and transformation uh, by the power of God. Um, you know, we can do a lot of things as a church. We can do a lot of good things as a church. But the main thing that we do as a church is we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing we do. There's a lot of things we could get sidetracked on in society that are good, they're helpful, they help people, but there's a lot of other people that can do that. Good atheists can do that. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, they can all do that. Our unique call and our unique niche in the human landscape is to preach the gospel. And so we've got to make sure that we're preaching the gospel and that in this place very regularly people are hearing the gospel and they're having an opportunity to respond to the gospel. It's, it's more than um, just practical motivation, but we have to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. A third thing was a commitment to the diversity of gifts in the body. And then the fourth thing we talked about was a commitment to love people. And... Uh, that's pretty difficult sometimes, to love people. Amen? I'm a people. You're a people. We have to love each other to start with, but also to have a compassion on the world and to love those that the Lord brings into our way. And you know, it's so easy sometimes to fall into, to fall into the role of judge and to make certain assumptions, but that's not our prerogative. Our prerogative is to love people. Now, that doesn't mean we don't preach the gospel to them. It doesn't mean we don't lead them to know Jesus. All of that is true, of course. But we have to accept people where they are. We'll talk a little bit maybe about that in just a moment. And then number five, very important, is that we have to have a commitment to personal evangelism. In other words, if, if Austin is going to be reached, we can't simply relegate the spread of the gospel to the collective efforts of the church. In other words, we can't just say, well, if people will go to church, they'll get saved. Someone has to invite a friend. Someone has to invite a family member. Someone has to teach a Bible study. Did you know that 80% of all converts of all denominations, no matter what your theology is, 80% of all converts are friends and family members? That's where they come from. Why? There's a built-in trust there. 
there's a built-in witness of a testimony there. And 80% of all converts come from friends and family. Not only so, I forget the exact statistic, but it's similar. Most people do not make most people do not have a conversion experience on their first visit to church. And a very disproportionate number of the ones that have a conversion experience on their first visit to church don't stay. Why? They probably, one of two things generally. One, they came at, a, at an extreme crisis moment. They, they opened up to the Lord, and then when the crisis passed, they move on. Or the second thing is, they're the kind of person that very easily opens themselves up to whatever they encounter. So first time in a Pentecostal church, they've never been in a Pentecostal church before. Their mind's blown. They love it. This is amazing. They very easily can yield themselves and open themselves up to that. However, the next thing that comes along, they open themselves up to that. They know how to open themselves up, but they don't know how to close themselves off. So a disproportionate number of people who are, who are converted on their first visit to a church don't stay. Most people are converted on repeat visits to church. And... Those that stay, those that stay and are discipled and grow, it's not because of a program. We'll talk more about this in a minute. It's not because of a program of the church. It is because they have been connected relationally. And this is why so many people stick in church when they have been brought by a friend or a relative. They already have a relationship with someone of faith in the church. Back to personal evangelism. The real way that churches grow, the only way churches grow, is one soul at a time. Now, we have great harvest services sometimes where we may have 15, 20 uh, people receive the Spirit in one service. But guess what? Each one of them is a unique story. They got here by an invitation. They personally, individually received the Spirit and got baptized. In other words, it's one person at a time. And so as, as our church grows and as, as we become more effective collectively and as our services, you know, our, we have excellent church services. And as those services continue to, to, to uh, bless and, and encourage us, it's easy for us to say, well, that's taking care of revival. When it's not. Personal evangelism is the key to growing a church. And that means that all of us, and I want to underscore this. We may get stranded. I may not get to all my points tonight, but that's okay. Everyone in our church needs to feel they have some direct connection to evangelism. Now, we all have different gifts, but that was one of my points was the diversity of gifts. We all have different gifts. We all have different temperaments. Um, some people will you know, be the ones down here praying with people who receive the Spirit. Some will be the Bible study teachers. There's all different roles we play. But I think it's very important that every Christian can identify some way that their fingerprints are on the harvest. And I want to encourage all of us to think about that. What, in what ways do you directly touch the harvest? There's many ways. We'll talk about having church in a minute. But obviously, teaching a Bible study, witnessing to people on your job. Don't underestimate the influence and power of prayer. You may say, well, I don't have any friends, or I don't know anyone, or all of my people come to church. Or, okay, become an intercessor. An intercessor specifically for the harvest of lost souls. An intercessor for Sunday service. An intercessor who even, while church is going on, it's interceding for those that are coming to pray. And while they're coming to pray, you could be there even if you're just in your seat praying. There is a power of intercession. Amen. Others who may not feel like they're the ones to help people receive the Spirit one-on-one, -on -one, you can still create that atmosphere by coming, standing, just creating that atmosphere of faith. But in some way, in some way, Make sure that you know there's some way that you are very frequently touching the harvest, interacting with the lost. In other words, we're not just in this insulated church environment, but there's some way in which you are intersecting the lost of this world. I think that's very important. Because if the church, if, if, if evangelism only becomes something that the church does, it, the church is not going to be successful. 
Amen. And so as our church continues to grow and continues to deliver excellent ministry every Sunday, I want to make sure that we feel that personal connection. And I said this a few weeks ago, but you know what the very best thing is for you? Is if you bring someone to the Lord, and that someone, you watch them receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You watch your someone get baptized in the name of Jesus. I promise that will do more for you than anything you can imagine besides you yourself receiving the Holy Spirit or being baptized. Amen. There's no joy like the joy of a soul winner. Amen. Okay, we'll shift gears new, new, a few new ones tonight. Some of this relates, but if, we're gonna, if our church is going to grow, then one of the things that we most definitely have to have is effective evangelistic services. Effective evangelistic services. Now, um, an evangelistic service is not characterized by how many calories you burn. Now, you ought to burn some calories in church, okay? If you got one of them fit things or whatever, you ought to turn that thing on during church, see what happens. It might tell you to take a break. Or it might tell you to get up. I don't know. <laughs> some of them things, if you sit down too long, it'll tell you to get up. Um, when I say effective evangelistic services, I'm talking about services that are effective in bringing people to a point of conversion. Effective in bringing people to a point of conversion. Now, there's a lot of components to that. And this is the way I want all of us to think as members of New Life Church. And I think most of us do. But this is not just the way preachers think. This is the way all of us should think. There will be people here Sunday that have never been born again. I can assure you of that. There, there will be sinners of all varieties here Sunday. I can promise you that. So if you're afraid of a certain kind of sin... You're in the wrong church. There's going to be all kinds of stuff in here on Sunday. And so our mindset can't just be, well, you know, we're going and maybe they'll sing the song we want. Brother Scoggins is going to preach, so okay, I'll go Sunday. It's got to get past that. It's got to get past that so that the church, all of us, we are, we are feeling some ownership for the success of the service, knowing, knowing that in that service there are people that don't know Jesus Christ. There's people that have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people that have never been baptized in Jesus' name. They haven't known the joy of being filled. And knowing that, it's our responsibility collectively to make sure that what happens in this place is an effective environment where people can be filled with the Spirit and their lives changed every single time we come. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we come. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I don't think we have any of these now, but I, I just know over the years in certain churches that I've been a part of, I've been a part of many churches, by the way. I know I got here when I was really young, but... Uh, <laughs> Austin was actually our third church plant to be a part of, so we were worn out when we got here. But, you know, occasionally there will be like a, a chronic late person at church, right? Now, I'm not thinking about anybody that attends New Life, so don't, don't, you have to look at your shoes now and think I'm getting on your case, because I don't know any of you that do that. But there's that chronic late person, you know? And chronic late people are late no matter what time the service starts, because it has nothing to do with what time the service starts. They're just late. They're always late. If you're late, what does that say? Now, we're all late occasionally. But if you're consistently late, what does it say? Well, what it says is, you don't evidently, you don't value what happens at the front end of the service. What happens at the front end of the service? You have an opportunity to talk to people. You have an opportunity to welcome a guest. You have an opportunity to help a guest if they're lost, wandering around the hallway somewhere. And then we start with worship. It, just being here makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. And, and the simple things that we can... Of course, you're, you're all the Wednesday night folks. You all got this already. And it's, I, Granted, it's hard to be on time on Wednesday nights for sure. But particularly on Sundays, being here 
not just on time, but early. Why? So that we're in a mindset to worship God. So that we're ready to worship God. Um, creating the atmosphere of faith. Creating the atmosphere of faith. Now, everybody likes to go to good, have good church, right? You want, you want to have good church, right? And you want to hear good preaching, right? I mean, I'm with you. I don't want to hear bad sermon any more than you do. You ought to try preaching one. It's really hard. <laughs> um, we all want good church. Well, how do we do that? Well, yeah, every church service is different. You can't force a particular response or a particular feeling in the, in the room. But we do, have a, we do play a significant role in whether or not we have good church or not. And, and so coming with, with a sense of preparation, with a sense of having prayed for the service, with a sense of being on time, coming prepared to worship. And I can assure you, I can assure you this, the congregation in a Pentecostal church, the congregation has more to do with, hap with what happens in a service than the stage does. Because whether you believe it or not, the stage responds to you. The stage responds to you. Now this gets into a whole other interesting conversation about sort of the democratic nature of American Christianity, and particularly the Pentecostal movement. It's you guys that drive the service, it's not us. And particularly the preaching. The way it is received and the way it is engaged determines in great part how effective the service is going to be. Because it's this cooperative, it's this cooperative effort. And so when we talk about having effective evangelistic services, we're not talking about sort of pulling down, you know, some sort of some mystical formula or something. We're just talking about when, when we all show up and do what we do, that collective effort, that collective effort creates an environment of faith. It creates an environment where people, people actually can sense the, the real tangible presence of God. And it goes a really long ways. When, when, when we are telling someone, you need to be saved, you need to be born again, and when everyone around them acts like they're happy to have had that experience, that goes a really long ways. Now, thankfully, this happens most of the time around here. And, and, and sometimes without even realizing it, we are creating that, in, that, that, that environment of revival simply by doing what we were going to do anyway on Sunday. And so creating those, uh, those moments, creating those effective evangelistic services, but it goes a little past that, and not only you know, being early, but really coming, uh, you know, coming a little early so you can be on time, but also staying till it's over. Staying till it's over. When there's people praying, and again, guess who determines when church is dismissed? The people that are praying up here. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed we don't dismiss service on a Sunday? Now I do on Wednesday because I don't want you passing out and going to sleep on me. But on a Sunday, we don't dismiss service. Why? Because there's not a hard over for the service. The service is not over until the seekers who need something from God have said we're through. In other words, we're here until they're through. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, there's been many times where, uh, you know, and usually towards the end of the service is when, you know, baptisms take place, and so you might miss some of those. But there's been many services where I baptized someone and someone say, Oh, I didn't know we had a baptism. I said, Well, you shouldn't have left so early. You might miss out on some really cool stuff. Um, but, but really, having that sense of we are here to linger with those that are seeking, as long as they need to seek, we're here to linger. What is that? We're creating effective evangelistic services. Lingering with those people, praying with those people. And you know, in a, in, a, in a Pentecostal church, you know, if you've had the Holy Ghost for a long period of time, it actually, you know, can get monotonous for you to hear that every Sunday. Um, in fact, there was a member of our church who no, uh, has uh, gone on to meet the Lord, and uh, this was in a distant building in a far different place. Um, but a person who actually expressed their dissatisfaction with another Sunday service on Acts 2.38. Well, let me in a, let you in on a little secret. There's going to be a lot of sermons on Acts 2.38. And every Sunday morning, there's going to be something somewhere about 
you know, bringing your carcass up here and talking to Jesus. Uh, that's part of what we do. And so there, there needs to be this, this steady stream of converts in our church. One, because we're called to do it. And two, if we don't have that, we get real self-absorbed as a congregation. We need that fresh flow. We need that crazy that just came off 6th Street and God filled them with the Spirit and they kind of mess up our service. We need that. Now, we'll help them out a little bit, you know. But we need that. We need that fresh stream. And we need to see fruit for our efforts. We need to see fruit for our labor. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just look at you all the time. And I'm sure you don't want to just... You know, stare at me. I try to schedule as many guests as we can. But it's really good to see some fresh faces around here. Amen? Some new people that are just smiling ear to ear because God just changed their lives. We need that. We need that fresh flow. And of sometimes we have, you know, services that are dedicated to that. In our revival services, these big harvest events, and um, those are wonderful as well. Well, move on from that. In addition to effective evangelistic services, though, we also need effective teaching environments. Now, here's where churches sometimes have a primary identity as one or the other. Oh, we're a Bible church. Oh, we're a spirit-filled church. Well, you really need to be both. Um, now, granted, churches have personalities and, you know, pastors have temperaments and all that. And yes, churches have... But we need to f make sure that we always have that balance of the effective evangelistic services on a regular basis and a, a worshipful, vibrant atmosphere, but also that there are very regular teaching environments where we just break down the Word of God. We all need that. Amen. We all need that. We have various, you know, places, the obvious, you know, places, Wednesday night right here. But also, we have so many classes on Sunday mornings. I want to encourage you, if you don't attend Sunday at 10 a.m., I encourage you to do that. We have classes for everyone, and again, teaching environments. Now, here's what happens in a teaching environment. Chances are, any given class, any given teacher, you're not going to walk in every single week, and you're like, wow, never heard that before. <laughs> Revelation! any more than you're going to sit down to a good meal and say, never tasted that before. There's good stuff that you just need to keep having. And through teaching, we are reminded of things. And not only are we reminded, but, but, but you can have the same meal in two different places prepared by a different cook with a different recipe, and it just tastes a little different. And what happens when we go through different teaching environments, we get different nuances and perspectives and different testimonies mixed in and different understandings, and it enriches us. It enriches us. And so go to these environments with an open heart and an open mind and an open spirit and, and, and with, with an attitude to receive. I'm going, going to receive something out of this. And what I've discovered, if that's, if that's my attitude, there's generally something that I can glean from just about any environment. Amen. Effective teaching environments. And I appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness on so many of these Wednesday nights, on these teaching environments. Number eight, we're almost done. I'm not going to tell you how long my list is, but it's number eight. I do have my clock, though, and I'm good about that. Oh, I try to be. Number eight, effective discipleship and assimilation processes in a church. In other words, we have to make sure we don't just, you know, help people receive the Holy Spirit, but we have to help them learn how to live. Now, a church, um, most of the pastors I've talked to, this is an ongoing challenge that never goes away. You're constantly tweaking this. You're constantly uh, working with this. And one of the reasons is there is no ideal convert. In other words, this is not like making widgets where you drop liquid plastic in one end of the machine you grind it and crunch it through a process, and out the other end, you get the perfect widget every single time. And you drop the same plastic in, you get the same widget out. Everybody that drops in the process is different. 
And some of them don't like our process. And some of them won't participate with our process. But we still have an obligation to help them grow in Jesus. And so this is something, as a church, from a system standpoint, we're probably always going to be tweaking, wrestling with, struggling with until the Lord comes. However, I want to put that on pause for just a minute. And I want to underscore something that I mentioned earlier. And that is all of our individual roles in this process. We all play a role in the discipling of other people. Most people are not discipled through a curriculum. They are discipled through a relationship. A curriculum is a tool. It imparts information. It can be helpful. But without the relationships, the curriculum generally is meaningless. That's where all of us come in. I want us to have eyes wide open. I want us to be aware who's new here. Who's new. And that's hard to do on a church-wide level, but most of you are creatures of habit and you kind of sit in the same place. And if you change seats, you mess me up because I don't know if you're here or not. But most of you are kind of creatures of habit. Be aware of who's around you. Be aware of who's new. And be aware of who's not here. We have 30th anniversary come up. All of you that have been here for a while know somebody that hasn't been here in a while. This week, it's your opportunity. Pick up the phone, text, call, social media message, email. Reach out to them say, hey, you, this is your church. We really need you here on Sunday. We're celebrating what God's done in 30 years. You're part of that story. Why? Being aware. So yes, the church works from a system standpoint. We work from a process standpoint. But none of that matters unless all of us are trying to make those connections. And what I've seen as pastor over the years, it's very rewarding that when our systems fail, our people don't fail. To watch so many of you touching newcomers. So many of you telling me about somebody that I don't even know. Telling me about progress in individuals' lives or how you've helped this person or touched that person or taught this person a Bible study. That's where the true discipleship really takes place. It's when you grab onto that new person and you help them. Spending time with people, those sorts of things. And we can have all of the people pray through we want. You know, many times you hear this, churches have these big harvest events. You know, 100 people got the Holy Ghost. Okay, 90 days later, where are they? Six months later, where are they? We've got to make sure that we're latching on to our new converts. Now, it's true, a certain percentage won't stay, and a certain percentage of them has nothing to do with the church. They have to make choices, they have to make decisions, but I want to make sure we give them every opportunity possible that if they want to live for God, they can live for God here. Amen. Effective, effective discipleship and assimilation processes. Okay, here's a really spiritual one. I'm almost done. Fellowship. Fellowship. Now, all you doctrinal geeks out there, that you just want more of the Word, you probably need more of people. Because you can get real weird like that. Did you know, you, you, just get your Google thing out, your Bible saw, whatever you do, and just look up fellowship in the Bible. We weren't meant to live in some monastery with a Greek text. We were meant to live in community. Now, some are more community-oriented than others. Some are more outgoing than others. Some, you know, are, you know have a, a bigger you know, appetite for you know, fellowship and all that. Yeah, fine. But all of us should in some ways be interacting with the church. That's why we have this picnic coming up Saturday, because celebrating what God has done is celebrating our community. Celebrating our family. And to be connected. Because in that connection, we give, we learn, we grow, we share. We're able to impart to others. Others are able to impart to us. Fellowship is an extreme part of the discipleship process. And it really does grieve me when I see people that come, and I know that, they're, I know that they love God. I know they're born again. I know they're living holy. I know they're supporting the church. They're checking all the things off the list, but I only see them Sunday morning, and they don't come to anything else. That's not a good disciple. That's not a good disciple. We have to be in fellowship with the body of Christ. Did you know that you can be, you can be dis discipled 
but not assimilated into the church. In other words, there's people that are going to heaven, they've got everything down, they really don't even need me telling me, I mean, they've got this down, they've been living for God for a thousand years, they're discipled in that sense, but they're not assimilated, they're not connected. And then you've got people that are fully assimilated. We all know them, they're everywhere, they're among us, but they've never been born again. And as a church, we have to be aware of those two extremes. You can be discipled but not assimilated, and you can be assimilated and not discipled. And so that's why all of this works together and how we have to make sure that we keep that on our horizon. Two last things I'm not going to spend hardly any time on. Number 10 uh, has to do with the organization of the church, and I'm not going to spend time on that. But really, when you think about planning, I had someone leave our church one time, uh, and uh, for various reasons, whatever, uh, left on good terms, and they texted me much later. Well, actually, it wasn't later. It was less than six months later. And they said, um, I just want to say how much I appreciate New Life <laughs> uh, and the structure. It takes structure uh, to harness what God is doing. And so simple things, uh, organization, calendars, planning, those kinds of things that might kind of initially, if you're new to it, seem kind of rigid and sterile and corporate and all that. Let me give you just a little metaphor. I like to think of organization and planning in a church like the sails on a boat. You can have a boat with a sail and you can have a boat without a sail. Both of those boats in the same water. The same wind blows on both of those boats. The one without a sail feels the same wind. It gets tossed around. There's lots of commotion but it doesn't go anywhere because it hasn't harnessed the wind. But the boat with the sail actually has a mechanism to actually capture the wind and allow the wind to be used for its advantage. I think of administration and planning and organization in a church as the sails. If God's doing something, we want to make sure that we harness that and we want to make sure we leverage that to our advantage. And so planning is extremely important. And then finally, 10, or number 11, actually, and I'll just mention this briefly, um, and then we'll be dismissed. Having an effective ministry model. You know, what we did in the church in 1972 is probably not going to be effective right now. Now, I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm not talking about doctrine or, you know, what we believe. Um, i just be honest with you. You know, New Life was started in 1992. What we did in 1992 is probably not going to work real effectively right now. Times change, folks. And we as, a, as the discipled core have to be willing to embrace change. You know, change is one of those things everybody says they're for it until they get it. <laughs> um, but we have to be willing to embrace change. No, not just change for the sake of change but change for the sake of fulfilling our duty to reach the lost. Change for the sake of reaching Austin. Um, and so we have to continually evaluate our ministry model. What is it that we do? How is it that we package the gospel? How is it that we package the delivery of the message in the various ministries of the church? There may be times where certain ministries, and this has happened over the years, where certain ministries, it's time for us to move on. They served us well. And the people that served in those ministries sacrificed and they helped, they touched lives during that era. But that era comes to an end. And so some of that has to do with just the, 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 the changing of times, but some of it has to do with the size of the church too. What you do when you're a church of 100 is not the same that you do of a church of 500. It's not the same as what you do of a church of 1,000. And the principles you re-embody, yes, the principles that are effective, you have to re-embody and repackage those, but the manifestation of those things, it changes. And so one of the things that we have to constantly remind ourselves of, if we're going to be a church that is growing, is that we have to make sure that we have an effective ministry model, and if that's not effective, we need to have the courage to change it. Amen. Well, thank you for having the courage to hang in here tonight. Amen. I want us to stand. I'm excited about this weekend, celebrating the goodness of the Lord. And I'm also excited about uh, getting this construction underway um, and getting it done. Because you know what? Um, there's two things that I want to 
do when we get this construction out of the way. One is I want to plan for some more construction. <laughs> we need a children's ministry wing. And uh, we're going to need a miracle for that. Uh, anything costs a lot of money in Austin. We know that. Uh, and at some point, I mean, like many of you have given for years to our building program. I, we started giving to the building division, the original one, in 2007. And we're still giving. I don't begrudge that. I love it. But I, I don't feel as a pastor I can keep just extending that out, dragging, you know, congregation on commitment. I'm going to pray and believe God for a miracle. We need that space. Of course, newcomers that have come to our church, we want them to get on board. But here's what I really want to do as well. I want to shift, as soon as we can, I want to shift attention really to, to giving more to missions. You know, we give a lot to missions, we, we do. But, but I, I, really, I really want the Lord to help us so we can pour out more. You know what happens when we pour out? The Lord fills us back up. And I want, to, I want New Life Austin to, yes, we've had to take care of some things. We have to take care of New Life. We have to build our buildings. We have to take care of us. Yes, yes, yes. But I don't want us to get so self-focused that we're always wondering about what are we going to build next. We need to build this. We need that. I want, us to, I want our, our vision to always be well beyond these walls and to see the harvest not only in Austin but in South Central Texas, North America, and around the world. And uh, I want us to, to be engaged in that. Amen. Well, why don't we close in prayer? Let's close with some worship to the Lord and give Him praise. Lord, we're grateful to You tonight for Your, for your bountiful blessings. You have been so good to us. You have blessed our church. You have helped our church. And we are grateful to You. I pray that You would be with us as we go this week and celebrate what You have done. Lives in this room have been changed, Lord, in this place. I pray that you would help us to continue not only to celebrate that, but to build for the future, to allow you to work in the lives of people that are yet to come. Let us remain faithful and true, and we ask it and give you the praise for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you this weekend.